1: G'day, mates. It's B Buster here. So, before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favourite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there – And I hope you guys check it out, because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have, and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. The Showers, Part 2, by Clover10176 So, I'm awake now and semi-sober, and ready to finish this for you guys, the internet and whoever cares to hear it. I didn't find out that Mr. Mays had passed away until a couple of months after the funeral service. Initially, I was going to seek out his family in order to send my condolences, but it wasn't as if Mr. Mays and I were best friends or anything like that, so I just refrained. I continued through my college career and Graduated a year or so after our bar meeting. Graduating with English as my major wasn't a mistake, but it wasn't exactly something that landed me any sort of immediate jobs after college. Now, I had saved a pretty solid amount of money while I was in school and decided that I deserved a bit of a vacation, if you will. I took my spare cash and got together with my college buddy Steve, packed up and hit the road, aiming for somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. I had lived near Littleton, Colorado when I was younger and remembered loving the area, so this destination was as good as any. The trip? It was a success. We made it somewhere around Estes Park, Colorado and found a cheap cabin that we rented for about a month. The days were filled with laughing, hiking and generally things that involved little to no work on our parts. After our rental was through, we packed up again and headed on our way back east. Sometime during this trip, we met a couple of natives in one of the local bars. We never typically hung out with them or anything like that. We just had conversations now and then over drinks and food. One night, these guys were paying their tavern, packing up to leave awfully early. They were usually there until the wee hours of the morning. When we questioned them about it, they told us that they were heading to a little get-together with some friend of theirs, and they invited us having nothing else to do, we hopped in the car and followed them to the party. The party itself was pretty low-key, and ultimately inconsequential to this story. However, the important thing about it was that, at some point in the night, we were all sitting around the fire and swapping ghost stories. At this point in my life, I wasn't as much of a ham as I was in my younger years. But with a little bit of encouragement... I started on a couple of stories that I remembered telling in my youth. Eventually, I made it to Mr. May's story about the showers. Every time that I had told it after hearing it from Mr. May's, I had spiced it up a little bit. But out of some sort of subconscious respect for my former teacher, I went straight into the version that he told my class in my sophomore year of high school. The group enjoyed my stories for the most part, the showers being the mutual favorite among the partygoers. Steve and I left for the cabin at around five in the morning, and he asked me about that story on the drive home. I told him all about Mr. Mays, that class, and my love for everything horror-related and whatnot. And he suggested that we try to find the place on our return trip to New York. Initially, I was reluctant simply because I didn't feel like aimlessly wandering through Nebraska for days, looking for some old farm building that was probably demolished at this point. But a couple of days before we left Colorado, I told Steve that it sounded like fun. We weren't going to be able to do another trip like this for a long time, so I figured we might as well make the best of it. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought of it as a a little tribute to Mr. May. A guy that, in retrospect, helped me realise that I wanted to be a writer. Anyway, we left Colorado and made the long, boring and barren drive to Broken Bow, Nebraska. Or hell on earth, as Mr. Mays had put it. We found a motel in town and hung around for a couple of days, venturing out a hundred miles or so in any given direction each day after that. I remembered Mr. Mays telling us that it was somewhere outside of Broken Bow, but... I don't think he got any more specific than that. We tried asking the townsfolk if they had any information about the showers, but we were usually met with blank stares or eye-rolling when we told them what exactly this place was. The only person who seemed to know anything about it was an older lady that worked at a gas station on the outskirts of town. I don't recall her name, but this woman was just one of those cheerful old people very helpful and generally interested in what anyone had to say to her. Steve had started talking to her at the checkout and she asked about our license plate, commenting about the fact that we were very far from home. We had nowhere in particular to be, so Steve and I ended up talking to this woman for about 15 minutes, at which point we brought up our hunt for the place known as The Showers. Initially, the name didn't ring any bells with the woman, which made sense, seeing as Mr. Mays had given it the name after his experience there. But when I began to describe the details that I remembered from his story, the friendly old woman interrupted me. Her tone was not scornful or mean in any way, but she became very tense and deliberate with her words from that point on. People don't deal with anything relating to that sort of business around here anymore, she told us. That was all a a long time ago. Following her statements, she attempted to be cheerful again, excusing us off to the restroom and wishing us the best on our return trip to New York. Steve and I returned to the car with a word. Both of us were thinking, though, about what the lady had said. Again, she didn't seem to be angry at all. She just didn't want to hear another word about it, though. We were driving back to the hotel before Steve said something. I mean if I had to live in a place associated with an urban legend or something like that, I would totally mess with anyone who asked about it, he said. I mean, eventually you'd just get tired of people asking about it, right? And so you'd just try to scare them to get them to shut up, wouldn't you? I agreed with Steve and kept driving, but the whole experience just wasn't sitting right with me. If this was some sort of well-known legend in the area, why did no one else in town seem to know anything about it? But I managed to shrug it off. Mind you, neither of us was scared of finding the showers. This little excursion on our road trip was more like a scavenger hunt, a cap off to an overall relaxing vacation. Steve and I were basically like tourists, hunting for a site at which a famous movie was filmed or something like that. We went into the whole situation with little to no expectations and a fleeting hope that we would be able to find this place. We spent another day in Bow before we took our next trip out to try and find the showers. Nebraska isn't as terrible of a place as people make it out to be, but it really isn't all that exciting. We found a bar and spent some time there, and that was just about the extent of our activity on our day off. When we did get back on the road, we decided that we would attempt to stay off the main roads for as much of the day as we could. I knew there was no way that this place was going to be off of a highway or anything and... ...Mai remembered some detail about a dirt road in Mr May's story, so we went looking for those. This was a fairly futile effort though, because most of Nebraska is dirt roads. It was 7 in the evening when we came upon a small but thick forest... I use the term lightly, but for Nebraska, this place was like an oasis. The trees were full and thick, shrouding most of its inside in darkness. The sun was setting, and even though we'd run into a few of these random crops of trees, we agreed that this one showed more promise than any of the others. There wasn't really a road, but there looked to be a path where a dirt road might have been at some point, so we drove along that. If the car was able to handle the Rocky Mountains, a dirt path in Nebraska would give us no trouble. We moved slowly and carefully along this trail, making sure to clear any fallen trees in the road or rocks that would render the car useless when the sun finished setting. It was pretty dark in this place during the day, but when night came, it was something else entirely. I had an inkling at this point that we had found the right place, but... I didn't want to jinx it, so we continued on. I didn't realize it at the time, but the little bits of light that managed to penetrate the canopy on this miniature forest actually did make it look as if the tree branches were trying to grab the car, just like Mr. Mays had mentioned in his story. I'm still convinced that he made up the part about the animal eyes, though. The most aggressive creature that we saw in the woods was a dead rabbit on the side of the trail. It didn't have any obvious signs of death, though. It just looked like it had simply laid down and just never bothered to get up. Anyway, we drove around in the darkness for quite a while before we found a clearing. We had to move several smaller clusters of branches out of the way before, but right in front of our exit was a giant, dead monster of a tree. There was no way that we were moving this one so we got out and turned on the bright headlights in the hopes that it would illuminate the area in front of us. There was a feeling of excitement mixed strangely with fear when I saw what lay 50 feet beyond the clearing. There, lit partially by the headlights from the car and the little bit of light from the crescent moon, was what appeared to be an old barn house. This wasn't a typical farmhouse too, It was larger than the barns that I'd seen in films and didn't have any sort of crest. It basically looked like a small warehouse. I wasn't entirely sure at this point if this was the place that we were looking for, but this was definitely the closest that we had come. I moved through the brush until I was roughly 20 feet from the entrance, at which point all the growth seemed to stop. I don't know if the owners had done something to the soil... But the whole structure had a border around it that was clear of any sort of plant life. I approached the entrance to the building, a large sliding door as Steve came up behind me with two flashlights in hand. "'So you were just going to run off into that place in the dark?' He laughed. I gave a half-hearted chuckle and grabbed one of the flashlights from his hand. Mine was a little but pretty bright flashlight. It was the kind that hikers would most likely fasten to their backpacks— Just in case they were stranded at night or something. But it worked well enough. I grabbed the metal door with both hands. Holding the flashlight with my mouth and gave it a tug. It moved slightly. Creaked a little bit but there was no way that I was doing this myself. Steve came up from behind me. Set his flashlight on the ground. Grabbed the door and said one, two and three. We pulled at the door with all that we could muster once we had managed to move it a couple of inches, it must have latched back onto its track because it slid very easily, stopping hard with a loud and echoing thud when it was completely open. Steve picked up his flashlight and walked behind me. I had already moved inside at this point. The inside of the structure was exceptionally bare, almost troublingly so. I wasn't entirely sure how far we were from the nearest home or small town, but... There wasn't even the slightest bit of evidence that anyone had been in this building for years. There were no broken beer bottles or empty bags of chips. There weren't even any animal droppings or eager plants that managed to grow here. The room was expansive, larger than your average farm, but not the warehouse-sized monstrosity that I believe Mr. Mace described in his story. I wasn't sure if it was simply a holding area for farming equipment or something similar at some point. Disappointed, I wandered near the entrance while Steve ventured into the expanse of darkness. As I was running over the details of the story in my mind, something struck me like a sack of bricks. In Mr. Mays' story, there was a silo near the barn. I ran outside, my eyes adjusting easily because at the very least it was brighter outside. I looked in all directions, running around the perimeter of the building. Surely, if there was ever a silo near this place, there would be some evidence of it somewhere. But, despite my hopes, there was nothing but a cluster of thick bushes on one side, brush and dirt everywhere, and the forest that we had come from. I walked back into the building, frustrated and tired. Steve was still pretty excited, eagerly running around the inside of the building. If we could just find a shower head or pipe, he said, then we'd know it was true. Just just keep looking with me, okay? I didn't want to ruin his excitement. I had told Steve the story several times, but obviously he didn't realize that this just wasn't the place. The building was weird, yeah. It was out of place and oddly pristine, but it wasn't the location of the showers. I let him explore for a little bit before... Mike called him over. Well... This is probably as close as we're going to get, man. I said. But... This isn't it. Remember the silo? His face went from excitement to disappointment in an instant. Much like a young child who... Didn't get the presents he wanted on his birthday. I patted him on the shoulder. This is still pretty cool, though. I mean... We could still tell people that we found it. I was reverting back to my old habits quickly. Steve laughed. (laughs) Yeah, man, I guess we could. It's definitely creepy enough. We could even get some pictures as proof, you know. I agreed with him. I'm gonna go grab the camera real quick, okay? He said as he bolted out of the entrance of the building. I was left alone in... It was very quiet when I was alone in there. I could hear the faint sound of Steve running through the bush and to the car, but once he was far enough away, everything was just dead quiet. I remember not even hearing wind or the chirping of crickets as I walked deeper into the dark, flashlight in hand. I was convinced that there had to be something. As I approached the far corner of the room, the sound of my feet scratching against the dirt was interrupted by a soft, hollow thud. "G'day mates, it's B Buster here. So, I actually have some news for you guys. Audible reached out to me recently and is offering listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. All you have to do is go to audible.com/scared and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening." It's that easy. All you have to do is go to audible.com scared or text scared to 500, 500 to get started today. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot C-O-M slash S-C-A-R-E-D or text S-C-A-R-E-D to 500, 500 to get started. Just so you guys know too, Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. In fact, one trilogy of books I can recommend to all of you guys are The Passage Books by Justin Cronin. Of course, you can choose any book that you like, but if you're a fan of horror, then I think you'll love this series in particular. And the great thing about using Audible is that you can conveniently listen to great books like the Passage Trilogy, on your way to work, school, while you're cooking, on a jog, at the gym, I mean literally just about anywhere. And that's what makes Audible so great. The convenience they offer is second to none, and couple that with the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet and a fantastic phone app to boot, and it seems like a no-brainer to give their 30-day free trial a go. Plus, your books are yours to keep – With Audible, you can go back and re-listen any time, even if you cancel your membership. So I hope you guys will take advantage of this generous offer and give Audible a try today. And without further ado, here's the rest of the story. I stopped, trying to figure out what it was. I put my foot down hard against the ground and heard it again. I stomped one more time realising that the floor that I was standing on was covering something hollow below. I walked to the wall of the room, looking carefully at the floor to try and spot any holes or gaps. As far as I had known, it was solid ground that this thing sat atop, so I was convinced that i had found a hatch or a basement or something. I heard Steve come back through the brush as I shouted, Hey Steve, come over here! It's hollow! As I went to say the word hollow, I hopped a little bit, hoping to recreate the sound so that he would be able to hear it upon entering the door. But the second that my feet made contact with the floor, I felt it give out beneath me. The memory of the fall is fuzzy, but I do recall hearing wood splinter. I remember seeing the light from Steve's flashlight falling away into complete darkness. It wasn't a long fall, but I must have fallen into a terrible position because I know that I lost consciousness for several seconds at least. When I woke up, I was staring at a bright light. For an instant, I had thoughts about approaching the fabled light at the end of the tunnel. I was angry at myself. You died in Nebraska, Jack? Wow, you do know how to fuck up. My self-deprecation, though, in the afterlife was interrupted by what sounded like Steve's voice. Oh, shit. Uh, Jack? Jack? Can you hear me, dude? "'Wake up! Please, man, you've got to wake up!' he said, down into the hole. I managed to lift my head up off the floor, just enough for him to celebrate. The pain in my head was immense, but it was outweighed by the pain shooting through my knee. I knew that I had a concussion, but the pain in my knee was just so much more pressing. I looked around until I found my tiny flashlight— and then sat up and reassured Steve. I'm okay, dude. I've just hurt my knee. I bumped my head really hard too, dude. Oh, Thank fuck, man. I thought you were dead. Imagine that, though. Dying in fucking Nebraska. It'd be awful. His words made me laugh a little bit, but I stopped myself. The slightest shaking hurt my head and made me incredibly dizzy. Uh, I guess we need a rope, right? Said Steve. Uh, What? I asked, quietly. Uh, Should I go get a rope to get you out of here? Or do you see a ladder or something down there? I looked around the walls that sat in front of me. They were smooth cement. There was no way that I was climbing out of here. Ah, yeah, yeah, get a rope, I told him. It's... I think it's buried under all the stuff. It might be in my red climbing bag, but I'm not too sure. Steve nodded, telling me to hang in there and that he'd be back in a little bit. And then he just ran off. The silence that followed was uncomfortable. After the sound of Steve's feet scraping the floor above me faded away... I was only able to hear that buzzing that occurs in total silence, intertwined with the pulsing in my head. I pushed myself over to the nearest cement wall and braced myself against it, resting and breathing deep in an attempt to calm myself. The cement was unnaturally cold against my back. It was summer, so I only had a t-shirt on, but it felt like ice even through that. Again, this observation was primarily made after the fact. In the moment, it just felt good to lean against something. I sat there, waiting for Steve in this underground basement, and I began to feel uneasy. I felt like an idiot for falling down here. I felt pain from my injuries as well. But that all seemed to fade into one emotion in an instant when... I heard what I could only identify as breathing somewhere to my left. I convinced myself that it was my injured mind playing tricks on me for a moment, until my mind decided to rapidly replay Mr. May's story. When I had first heard it in that classroom years before, I was more impressed than I was scared. But now, sitting in a dark basement in the middle of Nebraska, I felt something that I hadn't felt in a long time. It couldn't even be summed up in the word fear. As I sat there, I felt an all-encompassing dread. I pointed my flashlight to my left, the direction from which I thought I heard the sound. The light didn't reach the other wall. It was too far away. But I was comforted to see absolutely nothing there. I breathed deeply for a couple more seconds before I heard another noise in the darkness. It was really quick and I can't be sure that it wasn't my own body moving around without my noticing but I thought that I heard a scraping sound not ten feet in front of me. It sounded like the noise your feet make when you're walking across a dirt covered floor. Before I could react, I heard the breathing to my left again, closer this time. There was no way that this was real, right? I hadn't seen so much as a spiderweb in this building, and now I was convincing myself that something next to me was breathing. I was angry at myself for getting so worked up. I told myself that the human brain is constantly hallucinating, I told myself that while in silence or darkness, the brain will make sounds to fill the gap or make you think or see things that just aren't there. I channeled my inner skeptic in order to calm myself down, and it worked. It worked until I saw a flash of something in front of me. I can't be entirely sure what it was, but I heard the accompanying sounds of feet scraping against the floor and I began to swell with dread. I decided that the best course of action at this point was to turn off my flashlight, assuming that if they couldn't see me, they couldn't get me. Whatever they might be. I turned off my flashlight and was left in complete and total darkness. The bulb of the flashlight faded as it cooled and I put it into my pocket, simultaneously pushing back against the cold cement wall in an attempt to stand. I managed to get up onto my feet, well, foot, and found that I couldn't stand or put any pressure on my injured knee. I limped to the corner, humming to myself, trying to break the deafening silence. I called for Steve as loud as I could manage, but I heard no response. He was probably in the back of the car, still hunting for the rope. There had to be a ladder or something somewhere to get out of here, right? I continued to hum and my heartbeat, which had been beating almost out of my chest, slowed to a manageable rate. I moved along the cement wall, keeping my whole body against it and weight off of my injured knee. I had travelled what I guessed to be about 10 feet when my head made contact with something in front of me. I tumbled to the ground. My concussion must have amplified the pain because it was blinding. I reached both hands to my forehead when I felt something warm and wet with my fingers. I searched for a cut anywhere on my forehead, but I couldn't find one. I desperately searched for my flashlight as I sat up and tried to get back against the wall. I grabbed the light in my right hand, bracing against the wall with the other. I turned it on and pointed it into the darkness where I was just laying. The floor was wet, but the dirt had muddled the color of whatever the liquid was. I tried to get my eyes to focus on the puddle, tried to convince myself that it was my blood when I saw another drop fall into the puddle. Words lack the ability to describe the way I felt when I heard the drip noise again and saw yet another tiny ball of liquid fall into the puddle. I think I knew, even then, exactly what the source was, but I was endlessly trying to convince myself that I was wrong. I lifted the flashlight up and pointed it at the source of the liquid. What stared back at me was a pipe that protruded at least a foot out from the cement wall. The metal was rusted and cracked Little bits of the liquid began to seep from them, even. And at the end of the pipe was a simple shower head aimed down towards the ground. You know that feeling when your stomach drops? In this case, I think mine literally did because I vomited immediately. It got all over my shoe, but that wasn't the least bit important at the time. I ignored the pain in my knee and shuffled along the wall as fast as I possibly could. I heard noises, but I can't be sure if it was just the sounds of my own movement or something else around me. I managed to duck under the shower head. This one was higher up on the wall and seemed to be leaking the same liquid that the other one was. I felt like I was moving along something infinite. Every now and then... I would have to duck or move under another metal bar, another showerhead. They began to pour more profusely, but the liquid was too thick to come out easily. And the room, it began to smell. I remembered immediately the way that Mr. Mays had described it. I grabbed my shirt and put it over my nose, trucking onward, but it didn't stop the smell for an instant. It smelled like vomit it smelled like shit it smelled like burnt hair it smelled like like rot i was still moving fast against the wall when i fell into some sort of outlet i hit the dirt ground hard adrenaline coursing through my veins the pain still managed to break through though my flashlight was still in my hand and i aimed it and examined my surroundings Sitting in front of me was a doorway. There was a door there, though it looked aged now. It had a nice little design on it too. A doorknob and a knocker that looked like a snarling demon. Red paint was peeling from it, flaking off and falling to the ground in front of me. I clumsily rose and busted through the door, narrowly missing a piece of hanging sheet metal in front of me. I was crawling now. There was no way that I could run. The walls and ceiling were lined with metal, the kind that you would see on the roof of a farm. Large pieces of wood seemed to brace the sheets, holding this makeshift tunnel together. I couldn't risk sliding against that and possibly cutting myself in the metal, or hitting the wood and causing a cave-in, so I crawled. I pulled myself for what felt like miles, running into walls every now and then, because the path seemed to curve like a snake. I had no idea where I was in relation to the hole that I'd fallen through, but I told myself that there was an exit at the end of this. Had I not been crawling, I would have surely hurt myself far worse. There were parts of the tunnel in which the ceiling dipped down to maybe three feet above the ground. It hadn't caved in because the ceiling still lined it, someone had built it like this. This, again, is all in hindsight. At the time, I didn't care. I just kept telling myself that there was nothing behind me, but I swore that I heard feet scraping only a few inches beyond my own. My jeans would brush against my legs every now and then, making it feel like someone was touching me. And even now, I still can't completely convince myself that someone wasn't. I crawled and crawled until I reached an upslope. With joy, I looked ahead of me. There was a cellar door. The door was made of wood. I knew this because I could see the light around them. I couldn't be sure, but I thought it might have been the light from the car headlights. Besides all of that, I was just so immensely happy to find an exit. I crawled all the way to the door and threw my shoulder into it. It budged, but it didn't open. I began to scream, but my throat seared with pain. The most I could manage was a harsh crying noise. It sounded like a dying animal, if I'm being honest. I collapsed in exhaustion and pain, my eyes staring up at the slits of light before me. I was so close to being out of here that I could taste it. It was in that moment of silent defeat that I heard a noise that was, without question, something moving in the tunnel. It sounded like something was being dragged across the floor. It would move, pause for a second, and then move again. I had nothing left in my stomach to throw up, but... I began to gag. I gathered myself slightly and tried to steady my hand enough to focus the flashlight in the tunnel. But what I saw, I still can not rationalize. I know what I saw, but I can't convince myself that it was actually there. I can't stop telling myself that I was hallucinating. I saw a child in a dirty sleeping gown. The gown was stained with something dark and brown, with occasional splashes of deep red. The child was extremely frail, like the pictures people might see of a Holocaust victim or something. I could only make out one eye, brightly reflecting the light of my flashlight in between two huge tufts of long, dirty hair. It reached down beyond the fingertips of the child, which were caked with dirt. The boy or girl... I'm not entirely sure which, moved towards me with difficulty. It wasn't breathing hard, but it seemed that every movement of every muscle took every ounce of strength the child had. The thing that froze me, though, was the eye. It was only visible because it was reflecting my flashlight, but even in that glint, I could feel anger or deep hatred... Something like it. This... This is the point in which... The English language really lacks the right words to explain the situation. I could tell that... This child... It meant me harm. Whether it was a hallucination or not... The thing was... Getting closer too. I started to cry. It was getting closer and closer when... I heard a voice from behind me. Hey, Jack. It was... It was Steve. I was certain. I tried to talk back, fully intending to say, open this up and get me out of here. However, given my current state, I'm sure it just sounded like garbled nonsense. I clawed at the door, pushing against it with everything that I had and finally breaking eye contact with the child. As I did this, the flashlight rolled down the slope, coming to rest somewhere near the child's feet. What do you see? The voice asked me. What are you talking about? I closed my eyes. I remember hearing a reply along the lines of, just look at it, tell me what you see. But my own screams of frustration drowned it out. I was mumbling like a maniac when the voice told me calmly. Rest for a second. I'll get it. The statement took a second to settle in, at which point I closed my eyes tight. Steve, just do it, please. Please, just get it open. Hurry. I whimpered. Just get me out of here, man. My voice was beginning to get louder. Steve. Steve, for fuck's sake, open the wooden door. I opened my eyes for a split second to see nothing but black hair dangling in front of my face, a small glint of light hidden in the massive tangles. I slammed my eyes shut and screamed with every ounce of energy that I had to open the door, and the door finally gave way, and I fell onto the dirt, taking in the breath of fresh air, My eyes were still closed, but the first thing I did was scramble to find the cellar door and close it. Once I had done that, I took a deep breath and opened my eyes. I saw the barn in front of me, illuminated by the headlights of the car. My head was pulsing with pain, and I was covered in dirt and liquids that I didn't even care to know the origin of. My knee was, at the very least, dislocated. But despite all of that, I was finally... Out of that damn tunnel. I took a deep breath. Buried my head in my hands. And said. Steve. Why didn't you just fucking open the door man? I waited for a response. But none came. Steve. Seriously. I began. I was fucking clawing and screaming for my life. I said as I looked behind me. My stomach must have been on the verge of falling out of me at this point because it shifted again. The only thing behind me was the large mass of bushes that I had seen while examining the perimeter of the building. I was angry. Steve! This is not the fucking time, man! Come out of the fucking bushes now! I was getting ready to stand up when I heard a yell from the front of the building. A flashlight bobbed up and down in the semi-darkness. Steve was running into the open door of the structure, yelling my name and telling me not to worry. I must have lost consciousness at that point, because when I woke up, Steve was standing over me, desperately trying to wake me up. His words were almost incoherent, at least to my ears. He helped me to my feet and we began to walk to the car. And as we walked away, I saw my flashlight sitting just outside of the cellar door, and the light was fading. Steve brought me back to the car and then drove me to the nearest hospital. I fell asleep, but he told me that he drove around for an hour before he found a main road. I don't think that I ever told him the whole story. I believe he thinks that I was just injured from the fall... He never really asked about it, and we didn't stay in contact for much longer. It's not like we deliberately parted ways. We just sort of stopped hanging out after that trip and went our separate ways. I have never been able to fully understand what happened that night. There are many things that I can explain away as being hallucinations, but there are still many things that just don't make any sense. The shower heads... They were there and they were leaking something. The door was real. The tunnel was real. Most everything else can be semi-rationalized if I can convince myself that I had a very bad concussion. A very, very bad one at that. But the thing that I don't think I could have imagined was that the cellar door was locked. And then, all of a sudden, it wasn't. I am still as sceptical as I have ever been, but I believe in what happened to me at the showers. I'm not a hermit or a social retard because of this. I drink a lot, but I'm definitely still functional. But I will never return to Nebraska. No one will ever be able to convince me otherwise, too. I don't watch horror movies either anymore because there's absolutely nothing entertaining to me about being so desperately scared anymore. And that's that's it, really. There's no typical ending for my story. I was changed by my experience, yeah, but there is no way to change anything about it or fight back against it. I can't even convince myself that I wasn't just seeing things. Believe me, I've been trying to tell myself this for years. Prior to this, there was really no way to find any information on the showers. The legend didn't extend outside of the classroom of Mr. Mays. No one told stories like this to keep children away from a certain place or scare them. It just wasn't known about. I guess that's really the whole point of this story too. I want people to know, firsthand what this place is like. Maybe, maybe it's a, a drunk's rationale, or well, the kid inside me wanting to spread these kinds of stories again. I don't know, Meant, I don't care. But it's, it's out there now, for people to mould and warp to their own needs. And most importantly, it's finally out of my own head. It's getting late now, and I'm going to go and get another drink. Cheers. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one.
0: That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.
2: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need.